From the Richard A. Brown Nipty Radio Recording Studios, high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of Uptown Downtown Albany, welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Yeah. Oh, baby, how I will help my pain. All I need is my body. Thank you, Johnny, and welcome everyone to this edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Today we're going to be discussing one of the many, many aspects of the new CPL 245 discovery statute. Clearly, this statutory scheme has created a great stir and a great deal of concern about how it's going to be implemented and what the reality of it is going to be come the new year. Today, we'll be addressing a portion of it that may very well serve to assist you rather than make your life difficult when dealing with defense motions for suppression and the litigation of those motions on paper. So let's take a look and let's get going. Come January 1st, 2020, Sweeping changes to the discovery practice in New York's criminal law will go into effect. Many ADAs are concerned that the new statutes have created obligations that will be difficult to satisfy in the time allowed by the new legislation. In addition, are the concerns attributed to dealing with the yet unanticipated effects that the new laws will bring about? As with most things, knowledge is power. The more you know about the legislation, the more prepared you are going to be in dealing with these changes. In a sense, these new laws have put many ADAs back on their heels and made them very defensive about how they are able to appropriately be aggressive in their handling of their cases. NIPTI has and continues to supply updated materials on all the new legislation. Use the link supplied in the written version of this to access the new legislation and other materials to assist you in understanding and preparing for CPL 245. There are several results of the new statutes that should actually be beneficial to your practice. One area that may be overlooked is in addressing the defense's written motions to suppress. In some counties, the practice has been to consent to the conducting of suppression hearings without requiring of the defense a filing of the proper motion papers that meet the minimal requirements mandated by statute for such hearings. We are suggesting that in this new era of speedy discovery, there is no excuse for the defense not to be in a position to supply the proper written foundational material required by CPL 71060 to justify the court granting their application for a suppression hearing when their motion to suppress is not granted outright. There are six basic suppression issues that are the core of suppression motion and hearing practice. Most are identified by the name of a case which was fundamental in establishing the law that governs each particular issue. The hearings that are conducted to determine the propriety of the law enforcement conduct are also identified by the names of these foundational cases, with the exception of, of course, the right to counsel. Here they are. Number one, weighed issue in hearings. Was the law enforcement identification procedure constitutionally conducted? Number two, Huntley issues in hearings. 
Was the procedure used to secure a defendant's statement by law enforcement personnel done so within the constitutional guidelines? Number three, map issues and hearings. Was property taken by law enforcement from the defendant or an area wherein the defendant has an expectation of privacy done so in a constitutionally mandated fashion? Number four, patent issues and hearings. Did law enforcement personnel properly enter and search the defendant's home or place of business? Number five, Dunaway issues and hearings. Did law enforcement possess enough information to justify the level of intrusion upon the person of the defendant? Number six, right to counsel. Was the defendant's right to counsel factually triggered at an ID procedure or at an interrogation conducted by law enforcement? When it comes to statements, there was a distinction between factual events which trigger the right to counsel and those at a Huntley hearing where the question is whether or not the defendant knowingly and intelligently waived his or her right to counsel. When a defendant moves for suppression or a hearing in the alternative of any such evidence, CPL 71060 has different requirements as to how much information the defense must allege depending on the issue to be litigated in order to be granted a suppression hearing. When it comes to Huntley and Wade hearings, the defense is simply required to allege in conclusory language that procedures were violative of the defendant's constitutional rights. No sworn allegations of fact are required to support the conclusory applications. CCPL 71060 subdivision 3B. When dealing with the other four, the defense is not only required to supply the statement that there was a violation by law enforcement of the defendant's constitutional rights, but they must also supply sworn allegations of fact that, if true, would require the suppression of that evidence. Again, CCPL 71060 subdivision 3B. Dunaway or probable cause issues are usually attached to Wade and Huntley issues when the defense moves for suppression. Even though no sworn allegations of fact are required for Huntley and Wade claims, they are required for a Dunaway claim. Remember, Dunaway challenges whether or not there was probable cause to take the defendant into custody, while the Wade and Huntley challenge the methods for securing statements or identification once the defendant is in custody. If the defense fails to supply them when moving, for example, a Dunaway Wade hearing, you should oppose the probable cause portion of the application for insufficient or no sworn allegations of fact. The court should deny the Dunaway portion of the motion for a hearing and only grant a hearing for the Wade portion. The same approach should be taken when considering the statutory right to counsel in the context of identifications and statement evidence. There is no reason to allow the defense to bypass these statutory mandates before the court orders a suppression hearing. The reality of most cases is that the defendant will be the only source of facts that will meet this requirement that there be a factual contest created by the defense version of events. While the people are not permitted to use these sworn allegations of fact of the defendant as direct evidence against the defendant at trial, you are permitted to use the sworn allegations of fact to impeach the defendant if his or her trial testimony is inconsistent with his or her sworn allegations of fact. 
This concept is similar to the use of a statement made by a defendant that has been suppressed to impeach him or her when he or she testifies at trial and that testimony is inconsistent with the suppressed material. It's another version of the sword versus shield concept. The defense will be committed to a specific version of the events when they are required to supply the required sworn allegations. The language of CPL 71060 subdivision 3 states that the court may summarily deny the motion for the defense failure to comply with the statute and not must. With that noted, it is common sense to assert that while a court may dispense with the requirements of sworn allegations of fact in special circumstances, the volumes of case law upholding the denial of motions to suppress on papers for failure of the defense to comply with the statute demonstrates that the defense should, in most cases, be required to comply with the statute. As Chief Judge Judith Kay wrote in People v. Mendoza in 1993, the legislature has determined that the defendants should have fair pretrial procedures to address alleged constitutional violations. Yet, hearings are generally not available merely for the asking. The requirement that facts be alleged in support of a suppression motion strikes a sensible balance between these competing interests. In People v. Burton, another Court of Appeals decision, this one from 2006, the court wrote, a hearing is required only when the defendant raises a factual dispute on a material point which must be resolved before the court can decide the legal issue of whether evidence was obtained in a constitutionally permitted fashion. Take careful note that CPL 71060 subdivision 1 requires that the sworn allegations of fact be either based on first-hand knowledge of the affiant or upon information and belief with the specific source of that information being identified in the motion. The defendant is usually the only source of such information and thus a properly constructed motion will identify the defendant as the source of these facts. Read the defense motion papers carefully. Some defense attorneys will omit the actual source of the alleged facts in the papers. If you do not object to the motion's failure to comply with this statutory requirement, the hearing may be ordered without the defendant having committed him or herself to a set of facts that are required by the statute. Often, in identifying the source of the facts, defense attorneys may use the term interested parties, which is not the same as identifying the defendant as the source. In counties where these issues are already being litigated on the papers, in addition to not identifying the source of their sworn allegations of fact, the defense may attempt to avoid supplying any sworn allegations of fact because their client's version of the events does not establish improper conduct by law enforcement and would not justify a hearing. They do not submit facts, hoping the people will simply consent to the hearing or that the court will not require it of them. If we put their feet to the fire to supply the mandated sworn allegations of fact to support their motion, they will often withdraw the motion because they will not be able to supply the required sworn allegations of fact and no hearing will be required. With the new landscape created by the significant changes in the discovery and other criminal procedure laws, it is imperative that we stay ahead of these new laws 
and not be intimidated by them. At the same time, we should be aware that some of the new legislation will make our ability to properly prosecute cases more effective. We should require the defense to comply with the most basic statutory requirements to secure a suppression hearing. Consent to the hearing when it is appropriate, but require the defense to meet these minimal requirements to justify the conducting of a suppression hearing. To do otherwise is to consent to a discovery procedure that is simply a deposition of one or more of your witnesses before trial. This was never the intent of the legislation that authorized suppression practice in New York. Folks, please be sure to see the written version of this practice tip in the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia, as well as references to the new legislation and many aspects of its interpretation that will be ongoing in the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia. We hope to be a source for your understanding and application of the new legislation. Our thanks, as always, to Johnny and to, of course, Jonathan Marconi Crispino, our man about town who will be appearing at the Summer College soon, as will many of your friends from NIPTI. And, of course, the primary focus of our Summer College is going to be the new legislation. So from all of us here at NIPTI, our best to you, be well, and stay ready, my friends. <laughs>